Welcome to Inside the Founders Studio with the California Technology Council, where we bring you perspectives directly from startup founders and investors in every episode. Now we turn to our host in our Northern California headquarters, Matt Gardner, founder of the California Technology Council. Thanks again to Big Figment for the soundtrack. You can find out more information about them at bigfigment.com. Now on today's episode of Inside the Founder Studio, we've got a special two-parter for you. The first part is our conversation with Paul Grand of Research Corporation Technologies, which is a very unusual venture capital firm. And in the second part, we've got a conversation with Marcel Lebrun, one of the co-founders of Radian 6 and one of Atlantic Canada's top serial entrepreneurs. Take a minute to subscribe to our podcasts on SoundCloud and at the iTunes Store, and join us for upcoming events on incubation, cybersecurity, energy efficiency, and more. Save the date for the 18th Annual Clean Acres Conference coming your way Friday, September 16th in South San Francisco. And we'd also love for you to join us on Monday, May 23rd in San Francisco for the launch of our landmark incubator study. Learn more at californiatechnology.org events. Before we get to today's episode, here's a minute with Office Depot. Leading a startup team? Hi, this is Janet McTaggart with Office Depot. Whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or setting up a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture. From getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo, Office Depot can help. Learn about how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all these startup essentials and more at californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. Now in the first part of today's episode, we spend a few minutes with Paul Grand of Research Corporation Technologies. RCT is not your usual venture investor, and he takes a long look with us at their special program MedTech Innovator partnered with Advomed. So we're with Paul Grand of RCT Ventures. Paul, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about RCT and MedTech Innovator? Hi, uh, very nice to talk to you. So uh, I'm a managing director at RCT Ventures. I've been there for 11 years. My job is primarily to source technologies and medical technology for our firm. And the way I've evolved, one of the ways I've evolved doing that over the last couple of years has been to start this program, MedTech Innovator. Um, and what started off as an exercise to try and strengthen the ecosystem by getting entrepreneurs back to conferences. That was the original genesis that I did with, with Casey McGlynn at the Wilson Satini Conference. Um, has really grown up now into not only uh, the industries, you know, the medtech industries accelerator and venture competition. Um, no, I mean it's really it's really gone from these one-off competitions to being what I would consider the medtech industries accelerator. Now. RCT is also a little bit unusual. Can you talk a little bit about the history there and it's obviously its great legacy in focusing on institutional commercialization? Sure. So RCT has been around for 103 years. Uh, so it's been around for a little longer than me. Uh, I was not I was not a founder at RCT. Uh, no, RCT, uh, actually, we spun out of a company called Research Corporation, which was started in 1912. Um, and so Research Corporation Technologies was started in 1987 as a spin out. Um, the history is that it was started by an academic scientist at Berkeley who had a technology to, to commercialize, and there was no tech transfer back then. So he created a company that would commercialize his invention, an electrostatic precipitator. Uh, 
from that genesis, the organization grew and became one of the major grant funding sources for scientists um, for that, that century. And, and as well, in addition to doing work on behalf, as, a, as, as a grant uh, or giving people grants, the organization also became a tech transfer entity and did tech transfer for pretty much every university in the country at the time. And the company had the top floor of the Chrysler building. They were the first tenant in the Chrysler building. They, you know, so they were the penthouse. And, uh, and they really kind of created the whole peer review process as well. So this is predating NSF, everything. So it's, a, it's an organization that's been around for a long time. And you know, in terms of an evolution, as RCT now and RCT Ventures, what we primarily do is invest. Um, although we also have some programs that we, we grow internally, uh, mainly on our biopharma side, we're mainly an investor. And we do that both as a direct investor in companies, uh, and in some cases we also fund other venture funds. So we're, uh, we're a venture investor, a fund of funds, right, exactly, in Aphelion Capital uh, with Ned Sheets and John Kim. Uh, we're a, an investor in Option 3, which is an entity that just commercializes 510K devices that don't need clinical data for approval. Um, that's a really interesting company. Um, so we're the investor in, in Option 3. We're also an investor in an entity called Broad Oak that does venture debt primarily. Um, so uh, we're, we're, we're diversified in that way. How does this uh, legacy give you a different view of the early stage landscape? I imagine that you've got just a, a little different perspective on the long-term requirements of a, an industry like med device or med tech broadly uh, that, you know, you've got to stay in it for a while. And, and as a firm that's a little bit longer in the tooth, uh, you've got a greater perspective on this. Yeah, I, I think I think you have to have patience, certainly, as an investor. And, and we've certainly seen, especially in med tech, a great uh, flight of venture investors in the early stage. That's been a big problem for our industry. And one of the things that we were trying to address also with MedTech Innovator. Um, and, and so that's that's something that you have to have patience for. Uh, we will be involved with companies sometimes for seven years or ten years or whatever the, the time is that's required. But at the same time, too, there's a really interesting opportunity to be involved with companies that move quickly to market, like we're doing with our Option 3 model. Those are companies that, in some cases, get to market in a year from the time that, that they're started. Uh, and uh, and we've had, we had an acquisition you know, within, I think it was 18 to 24 months from the time the company was started for or the first one we did there. So that, you know, there's there's different models that work. You know, we're seeing we're seeing an evolution of this industry and how it's funded. Uh, but you definitely have to have deep pockets and patient capital because what, although the best intent is maybe that the company is going to have an exit after our financing, that would be the best of all worlds. Um, the reality is that it doesn't always happen and there's another round of financing after that. And if that happens, you, you know, you have to have investors who are all aligned and who are all committed to continue financing your company. Um, and that's that's hard to do. So this is a fascinating change. You're, despite your boyish good looks, you've been around a little while. Yeah. And yet this is the first time you did MedTech Innovator with AdvaMed. Can you tell us a little bit about that process and what was unique about it? Yeah, so uh, it's been an amazing, an amazing process. We've been working with AdvaMed. Actually, this is our third year in doing some kind of a partnership with AdvaMed. Uh, originally, it was scholarships. So I came with this idea of they have this amazing conference, incredible people here, the networking 
at Avamed is the best that I think you can find in the medical device industry. You know, certainly the, the leaders of the industry are here, and that's the thing that attracted me to just going to the meeting. So I was maybe one of the few West Coast venture capitalists who was actually going to the meetings when they were in D.C. and Boston and Chicago and other places. Um, but I was looking around and saying, hey, there's all these amazing startups that should be here. They should be here at this conference. These are the people they want to be working with, and they're not here. So I came with a scholarship program where we paid to fly somebody out to Avamed, including their travel, and we paid for the cost of attending Avamed. And it's not a cheap ticket to come to Avamed. You know, they actually they actually charge a pretty decent amount of money for a startup. So we we covered all that, and we did we basically did a competition, and we let people apply, and we picked somebody, and they they came out and uh, and they were at Avamed, and we did that two years in a row. And after last year, I said, look, guys, we've been doing these medtech innovator competitions. They've been incredibly successful at the Wilson Society Conference uh, or the conferences uh, at uh, David Kasich's conferences. So uh, you know now he has his emerging medical technology uh, summits, and we've done them there. We've done them in Dublin. We've done them you know all over the place. And I said, but you know, th this is the medtech industry, right? And we should be on the biggest stage in the medtech industry. That's where our finals should be. You know, it's a multi. It's, it, so it's gone from being one-off competitions to a, a year-long series of competitions that led up to the biggest stage in the industry in front of the most influential people in the industry. So that was really the you know the thought was you know would that work? And Advabed's been an incredible partner. Uh, they you know it's interesting because the timing was really good. I think they were focused. They are focused on innovation. You know they have a whole innovation platform, and I think this fits very nicely into that. They also had the same vision that I had for changing the way they had small companies presented at Avamed. If you've been there before, you know in the past, like many conferences, uh, they had presentations that were off somewhere in a side room, and it's hard as an investor to navigate between the exhibit hall, the plenary, the side session sessions, and then go see the startups. And so you wind up, you know, and again, not not a problem. It wasn't Advamed's fault per se. It's just the way these things were done everywhere. Uh, and they said this. They told me the same thing. They were like, "This isn't working. We recognize that. Let's do something different." And so when we talked about MedTech Innovator, you know, the idea was let's use the same format that we have, which is, you know, a video these companies produce, and then a panel discussion and interviews, and and let's use that format for all the companies, and let's get it out of the side room and let's bring it into the exhibit hall. So that's where you see it today. So now we have the Innovation Showcase. We have 48 companies here. 20 of those are our companies. So we paid for 20 of the companies, again, to be here at Advamed. Um, that was a big, important part of our program. We wanted them all to come and uh, and have access to all these same people. And so that was that was an opportunity. And Advamed's been an incredible partner, um, not only giving us, obviously, the plenary stage, which, by the way, is a big deal for them to do. Uh, they only have, what, four five plenary session. So uh, that was a big deal as an organization for them to commit to that. Uh, and, and it shows their commitment to startups. I mean, it's clear. So they've really, I, I think they've really stepped up and shown, you know, what kind of partner they can be for small companies. Paul Grand, RCT Ventures. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much. If you enjoy CTC's podcasts, we want to hear from you. Email us at podcast at californiatechnology.org. And we invite you to join. You can learn more at californiatechnology.org slash join. Next up in this episode is our very special conversation with Marcel Lebrun, one of the co-founders of Radian 6. We had a chance at a conference to sit down with Marcel and talk about the core team from a small town in Atlantic Canada that went on to found several 
highly visible success stories. That executive team has gone on to become pillars of their community. Marcel took this time to tell us more about lifting yourself up from your bootstraps, being self-starters, being jacks of all trades and startups, and really being able to do it from anywhere in the world. Here's more with Marcel Lebrun. On this episode of Inside the Founder Studio, we're with Marcel Lebrun, one of the co-founders of Radiant 6 and several other stories. Marcel, can you introduce yourself quickly and, and talk about a couple of the companies that you've started? Yeah, so I'm a yeah, tech entrepreneur, became one by accident actually. Um, uh, happened to be at a, a meeting one day um, with an idea um, with uh, someone who said, hey, that's a great idea, uh, I'd like to invest in it and let's go. And that's how I kind of got my start into uh, into uh, building uh, software companies. And yeah, built companies through uh, the mid-90s and through the dot-com, you know, uh, uh, bubble and uh, that was interesting. And then uh, most recently, as you said, Radiant 6, which uh, in uh, 2011 got acquired by Salesforce.com. And uh, that was uh, a company that uh, really pioneered social marketing technology. So now you've been through a few exits. What advice do you have for founders that are building something and really have their heads down focused on building, uh, thinking about what ended up happening to you, maybe without even being able to anticipate what that exit would look like? Yeah. Well, I think um, the biggest thing um, that I've learned is that an exit is really a means to an end, not an end. I think when uh, founders get uh, disproportionately focused on an exit as an end, I think they end up doing unnatural things and uh, I think the most important thing is to be heads down building a really valuable business and if you do that then um, I think that uh, things more naturally emerge that are opportunities and when I say a means to an end is that you look at an exit as you know can this deliver you know there's always this deliver value for your shareholders but does it also amplify your ability to continue the mission and continue to um, you know accelerate your ability to reach the market all those kinds of things so you have to look at an exit that way. Uh, investors might look at it as this is the time that I leave and I'm out, but for employees, for the community, for the founders, for everybody else, it's not the end. It's actually the beginning of a new chapter, so you have to um, look at it very carefully from that perspective. So um, we love to ask founders a few of the same questions over and over again and, and, uh, and compare those responses. I want to ask you a couple of rapid-fire questions sure. that are uh, oriented around the, the whole experience. If we gave you a time machine and you could go back and tell your yourself one thing, but you only had 10 seconds to tell yourself something. What would you say to yourself before you were headed down this path? Well, I just give the advice that I just gave to myself earlier because um, in the mid-90s, um, there was a huge focus on exits, and that time it was particularly IPOs. IPOs are a little bit less um, front and center these days because of the uh, growth of uh, you know private equity and all of that. But a lot of tech companies were really focused on on that IPO and on you know creating the kind of profile that you needed, and that environment that um, you know attracted investment. Um, did, I would say, cause companies to do unnatural things. So I would take what I know now and give my 27-year-old self that advice. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, one question we'd love to ask is um, what keeps you up at night? So your your uh, post Radiant Six life has been uh, staying with Salesforce as a as an ongoing engagement, but you're doing other things now as well. So now in your sort of post exited self, what's keeping you up at night? Um, my passion, uh, what, what I've really been diving into the last couple of years has been um, poverty, actually, and um, it's been fascinating because on the surface I thought, I understand, you know, what poverty is, people who don't have enough food or whatever, and it's just opened up for me as this entirely far more complex world than I thought, and I've really been interested in development and what does it really take to effectively come alongside uh, people and help kind of change their, help them change their, you know, direction, and uh, I've been, my wife and I increasingly been engaged in doing that um, uh, locally, internationally, um, we, we tend to be focused uh, a lot on uh, projects related to young people, and that's just been a really passionate project of ours, looking at you know the various structures in the world that kind of set up uh, the, the, the ability to sustain these injustices and trying to figure out how do you actually break down these kind of systemic barriers to people getting out of these cyclical poverty and all that. And, yeah, that's been our focus. Now, you just came out of a panel discussion where you talked about engaging in community. Uh, what's the right time for a startup to be engaged? Yeah, uh, we talked about engaging in community and also just engaging in, um, A, uh, being looking at um, what your contribution is to your community and then uh, also to your, your people. One of the things that I really like is um, the focus of, for example, certified B corporations, which look at the triple bottom line, right? Profit, people, planet. And really, um, the earlier that you can bake in to your startup uh, those values and those decisions that will kind of take action in line with those values, the better. Because uh, when you try to do it after you've raised fi financing, it's hard to uh, kind of change who you are. So uh, we really um, encourage companies to adopt uh, integrated philanthropy right from day one. As um, the CEO of Salesforce likes to say, the, the purpose of business isn't just to deliver shareholder value, it's to improve the state of the world. And I think that more and more startups and business and large company business leaders are, are recognizing that and, and, and um, kind of advocating for that view. Yeah. You're a Canadian, but you sound like a citizen of the world in, in the way that you're talking about these issues. So uh, where was Radiant 6 headquartered and, and what's the legacy been in that community? Yeah, so we built it in a very um, small town in Atlantic Canada on the east coast of Canada, uh, east of Maine, actually. Most people don't, you know, a lot of maps looks like there's just water there, but there's actually land. And, um, and yeah, we built a global company from here. Uh, yeah, we had offices in other places as we grew, but uh, our entire uh, technology team we built in this kind of rural area. So uh, that's something that um, we did just because this is where we lived and this is where we grew and we just never thought about that being any uh, advantage or disadvantage. And I, I probably just revealed my Canadianness by saying about, right? Certainly, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So before that, you, you told a story earlier about uh, taking a company out on NASDAQ in 2000, which would have been a whole thing by itself. But uh, was that also a, an Atlantic Canadian company? And, and so you've obviously built a track record here. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing I'm getting at is you could do this anywhere. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we actually were built the first tech company to go public on the NASDAQ in this region. And um, 
and that was a whole different time. Um, but yeah, I, you know, a lot of people ask me, in fact, locally, a lot of people will, will kind of dig for that question, like, can you do it from here? And it's something I always kind of go, I never really worried about that question. We just did it. You know, we were, we were everywhere we needed to be. Um, we, you know, built relationships globally. No one really really even thought too much about where we were. Um, the one exception to that might have been when it comes to uh, discussions around exits, then you think, okay, does this company who's based wherever, you know, want to acquire a company who's based wherever? And a lot of times, you know, Silicon Valley companies have largely been acquiring companies in Silicon Valley, but that's completely changed. And a lot of the bigger players are, you know, buying companies all over the world. We're seeing, you know, tech hubs emerge in, you know, in Israel and, you know, n north of Europe and in all over the world. And uh, yeah, for us, it's just, um, you know, this, it's a global market. We have incredible talent here and we've been very successful. In fact, I haven't had to worry about uh, competing with Google and competing with Facebook, you know, for talent. And that's been a huge advantage really to be able to, you know, uh, retain your team. Yeah. So uh, Brookings just recently did a study about the digital health industry as one example of an emergent space. And in that study, they pointed out that digital health as, as an industry hasn't popped up where there's a traditional healthcare industry or biotech industry, uh, partly because you can find software engineers just about anywhere now. Uh, did, did the connective tissue that you had to universities make a difference, or were you small enough that you really could cherry pick just a few people to get started? Well, I think one of the advantages that repeat entrepreneurs have is that they can go and um, pick a dream team that they've worked with before. When you hire new, it's always a risk, right? You're you're trying to do your best on work history, background, interview, uh, but it's complete guess. You don't know their their capabilities. Uh, for me, one of the things I always valued far more than their skill was their character. So I looked always looked for leadership that had just amazing character. You know, people that people wanted to work for that were mature, that uh, were great decision makers, weren't overly worried about themselves in the decision. You know, those kinds of maturity attributes. And so I was able to build that team, and that also then helped shape our culture because those are leaders that we had. That's an advantage that you have as a repeat entrepreneur. That when you're doing it the first time, you learn things the hard way uh, a lot more and uh, so a lot of times the best place to start a company is where you where you can build that team and where you know uh, as you grow of course you do develop these programs to try to uh, you know fill the pipeline of new talent and and you start to give back by having your people engage with the institutional organizations and and kind of get the kids fired up that this is a great career and it's not you're not just sitting at a laptop all day you're doing really cool stuff and you know and all that yeah so, Marcel, one of the things that's been a theme here is uh, the talent pipeline, mm. uh, and, uh, and and clearly when you're uh, when you're starting out, you talked about the unicycle as an example of the kind of person that you're looking for. But there's also a self self starter mechanism that you're looking for early on because you need people who can be captains of just about anything that come up. Uh, so we have a soapbox that we talk about something very similar where the people who are self-starters now, whether you're in the poorest community in Redding, California, in, in the deep north or in the, uh, in the deep north of Canada, you could self-teach coding uh, because of coding academies and things that are available online. Um, do you find that we've reached our potential there yet in terms of people who can deliver themselves with uh, just a program that's available through free online learning or you know wherever you might find it to the point that you can get 
to a, an employable level of skill uh, and lift yourself up by your bootstraps in software. Yeah, not only is that possible, um, what's interesting is actually the um, two of the panelists that were there today, IBM, who started the, um, the uh, information security division, and Radiant 6, my company, actually um, were the idea behind both those companies came from the same individual who dropped out of university and was self-taught and uh, started working on cybersecurity and had no idea that his idea could become a product, let alone that anyone would want to buy it, let alone that IBM, you know, ended up paying hundreds of millions for it. Um, And so, yeah, absolutely. Today, even more so, people can learn themselves. That seems like a sign from God. Uh, Marcel Lebrun, one of the co-founders of Radiant 6, thanks for your time today. Great. Thanks for having me. All right. So that's been Paul Grant and Marcel Lebrun on today's episode of Inside the Founder Studio. We'll have a couple of very special startup spotlights coming your way soon. And next up, we're going to be spending more time inside incubators and accelerators, talking to the practitioners that run those programs, asking them about the things they do to measure their success and the success of the companies that go through them. And just one more reminder, on Monday, May 23rd in San Francisco, we'll be launching the CBIA study of incubators and accelerators and their impact in California. We'll hope to see you there. Inside the Founders Studio is produced in Northern California by the California Technology Council.